Good morning, y'all. Welcome to worship at uh, Garden City United Methodist Church. I'm so glad that I have y'all here today uh, in the house of the Lord for worship. And uh, before we get started, I've got a few announcements for you. First of all, our homecoming service is coming up in a couple of weeks. So please uh, make an effort to be at homecoming. Uh, it's what, the 17th? 17th. That's right. Yeah. So Tommy's going to be here. He's going to be selling his children's books, and the proceeds are going to go to the church. So uh, that's a tremendously generous thing he's doing for us. So uh, please bring cash for if you're interested in picking up one of his books. Um, second of all, I'm blanking. Do we got any more announcements? Am I forgetting anything? Yeah, Della. Okay. Okay. October 16th, the walk for to end human trafficking? Walk for freedom. For freedom. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, so, thank you. Yes, and we do have a church council meeting October 10th, next Sunday, to go over uh, to vote on our charge conference report. All right. Anything else? Yeah, Vicki. Okay, so reverse trick-or-treat is October 23rd. That's when we go up to folks and give them candy. And then, uh, so uh, that's a great, great opportunity to, to visit with folks. All right, let's go to God in prayer as we prepare our hearts for worship. Jesus, you are here with us this morning. Your love and your care and your grace has been upon us this week. Jesus, show us more of who you are today. Give us confidence as we walk before your throne that you have our best interests at heart, that you have our futures in the palm of your hands, that you own a cattle on a thousand hills, and that your love for us is sufficient. So God, in your all-sufficient love, give us grace to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Our opening hymn is hymn number 172, My Jesus, I Love Thee. I want to invite you to stand and sing with me. Thank you. 
invite you to remain standing joined with me in our affirmation of faith found on page 881 of your hymnals. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I want to invite you to be seated as we come to our time of prayer. We've got several folks we need to be praying for this morning. Let me grab my little prayer book. Here it is. We need to remember Jim Carter in our prayers this morning. Jim's in the hospital. And um, I've got a friend named uh, Fred Denhart who is also in the hospital this morning. If we could pray for him. Anybody else have any prayer requests? Yes. Goodness gracious. Okay. Anybody? Oh, yes, Margie. Joe Evans? Joan Evans. The family of John Flathman. That's Greg's brother-in-law, Crystal Hunter Flathman, who grew up in his church's husband. John Flathman's family. John passed away the other day. Anybody else? Traveling, huh. mercies. Traveling mercies. Absolutely. All right, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we love you and we are reminded that worship is not only something that we do through song, it's something that we do through prayer, it's something that we do through <coughs> focusing our attention on you. And so God, we want to take a few moments to worship you in prayer this morning as we reflect upon your beauty and your holiness, and your goodness, and your kindness in all of your ways to us. God, over and over, you have shown yourself to your people. You've come through for your people. God, we ask that you will continue to come through. Father, we worship and praise your holy name. God, we want to pray for these people on our prayer list today. We pray for Jim as he is recovering. We pray for Fred that he will uh, do well and that he will pull through. We pray for Diana's two daughter-in-laws as they're going through surgery in the coming weeks. God, be with the doctors and help them to recover quickly. We pray for Joan Evans. We pray for John Flaffman's family. 
those who are mourning his loss, who are, who are missing their father and brother and loved one. Bring them comfort and peace today. And God, we do pray for traveling mercies for those that are traveling. We pray that you will watch over each person in our church, each member of this family, that you will give us grace and keep us in your safety always. In your name I pray, amen. At this time, I want to invite our um, ushers to come forward as we take up our offering. Let's go back to God in prayer. Oh, Father, I pray that you will put a blessing on those who give. I pray that you will watch over our church, that you will provide for us, and that you will give us grace to always have our priorities correct. Bless this offering, God. In your name I pray. Amen.
Oh, when you want to go go-kart racing, you have to be so tall to go go-kart racing. When have you seen this sign? Um, <laughs> Roger's going to see. <laughs> oh, see it on your tippy toes, Roger. Oh, almost. <laughs> Who else wants to try to see if they're tall enough? I know I am. Uh, you know you are. Yeah. Definitely tall enough. You're, you, you're in. You're in. Well, you want to see if you're tall enough? Oh, stand on your tippy toes. There, now you are. Good job. You want to try Olivia? You saw it in Dollywood. Yes. Oh, you you barely made it. You made it. Good time. Come here, um, Nora. You want to see if you're tall enough? Come stand right here, Nora. No? Oh, let's see. Ruthie, definitely tall enough. How about you, Liam? Liam, are you oh, tall enough? Don't pick up the baby. Oh no, Liam's not tall enough. How about you, Mabry? Are you tall enough? See right here. Can you go this high? Oh, not yet. How about you, Roman? Are you tall enough? Roger already tried. He he can do it if he gets on his tippy toes. Oh yeah, Roman made it. How about you, Grant? Did you make it? Oh, Sandy Tippy Toe. Oh, there you go. There you go. We went to Disney World. We went to Hollywood Studios. And to ride the um, Toy Story Slinky ride, we were worried that they weren't going to make it. But they made it. They got to ride it. But guess what? There was a time when Jesus was uh, was speaking, and people were coming, and children were coming with them. And Jesus' disciples said... What are, what are the children? They told the parents, they said, don't, don't let those children come in and bother Jesus. Jesus is, is preaching. And we don't want people, we don't want the children to come in and interrupt the, the lesson or listen, interrupt his talking. Um, I think it's great that your parents brought you to church. i got to take this off. That your parents brought you to church today. Your parents brought you here because they love you and they want you to learn about Jesus. And that's what the people in the Bible that Jesus that they were talking about um, in Mark in the in Mark chapter ten, they were talking about people that brought their children to Jesus. And do you know what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say, "Oh, you got to be this tall, or you can't go see Jesus." You got to be this tall. Jesus didn't say that. His disciples said that. And we might say that sometimes, and sometimes. We say, oh, children don't need to go there. Children don't need to do this. And you've got to be this tall. But um, Jesus said, let the children, this, this is from the Bible. It says, let the children come to me and do not stop them. The kingdom of heaven, heaven belongs to these little ones. Then Jesus took the children in his arms and he blessed them. Now today we're going to have communion. Turn around behind you. There's communion set up. And some people believe that children don't need to come to the communion table. But in the Methodist church, we believe everyone is welcome at God's table. And so, um, when are they going to nursery? Uh, yeah. Okay. When you come, if you want to come back in for, for um, communion, we'll, we'll send a message for you to come back in for communion. And you are welcome, just like Jesus says... The kingdom of heaven belongs to these little ones, and he took them in his arms and he blessed them. We want you to be blessed. We want you to come to church. You don't have to be this tall to go to communion. You can. You don't have to have a completely clean heart to come to communion. You can be a sinner and come to communion. 
Because God is there and he wants you to remember that he died, Jesus died for you. That's what it's all about. So we're thankful that God brought, that Jesus um, died for us. We're thankful that your parents brought you to church and they love you enough to bring you. So let's pray. Dear God, we want to, you, we want to love your children just as Jesus loved them. Thank you that these children are here today and that someone loves them enough to bring them to, bring them to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Right, Miss Cookie's going to take you to Children's Church. While we get ready for them to go, uh, we are going to sing a song called um, Great Are You, Lord. And this is a song that we're going to be kind of focusing on this month as we're uh, trying to get more into some contemporary worship songs during worship. So um, you probably have heard this song if you listen to Christian radio or are familiar with it. Uh, it's not too complicated, um, but I think it, it really uh, is a great, great worship song. So I wanted you to invite you to stand and sing as we learn this song together. It's called Great Are You, Lord. The words are in your bulletin. Let me, let me add a caveat. We are singing one worship song. We're not stopping the hymnal. I saw some faces when he said we're getting into coming. No, we're no, not no, going we're... all to, to contemporary worship. We're still singing out the hymnal. One song per week. Thank you for saving me, Lisa. All right, let's stand and sing. <laughs> Bye. 
Ben. Thank you, Lisa. That's going to be our theme of the month of, of the Lord is great, and we're pouring out our praise to him. So we're going to start on a new series this month uh, for the month of October, except for homecoming. I'm not going to make Tommy preach on my series. That'd be a real flex, wouldn't it? And, uh, but we're going to do a, a series called Exiles, and this is one of my favorite periods of scripture. It's, it's from the Babylonian exile. It is hard to overstate the importance of the exile and the narrative of scripture, but for some reason, we don't learn too much about it. In fact, some of our most famous Sunday school stories happen during the exile, but we tend not to realize it. For example, Daniel and the lion's den is an exile story. The story of Esther is an exile story, and, and, but we don't tend to talk about what it is. So the, the Babylonian exile was this period when the Babylonians came and they assaulted Jerusalem and overtook it. And for a few years, the, the Jewish king was allowed to rule in Jerusalem under the Babylonians, but the Jewish king was like, no, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore, and he stopped paying taxes. And the Babylonian king was like, all right, if you're not going to pay taxes, then we're not going to let you stay here. And so what happened was the Babylonians came and they assaulted Jerusalem. And they took and they exiled, they deported all the Jews out of Jerusalem. And they brought Babylonians in to live there. So if you could imagine, you know, being cast out of your house and then having some stranger come move in and live there and they send you off to Timbuktu. That's what happened to all of the Israelites in Jerusalem. And the, the whole point of this was that they wanted to destroy Jew Jewish culture. They wanted to destroy Jewish people as a group and make them just disappear by intermarrying with Babylonians, and so eventually the Jewish nation would just go away. Of course, that's not what happened. God was faithful and brought the Jewish people back eventually. But there were hundreds of years in this exile time when the Jewish people did not have a home. They did not have a place to call their own. They didn't even really have a church to go to. They didn't have a temple to worship at. All they could do was stick together the best that they could. So we're going to talk about some of these exile stories in the month of October. And so you might be asking yourself, why would we do this? Why would we study this exile period? Well, I think it's important for us because we are currently living in a post-Christian culture. That's what American culture has been called. Um, it means that we live in a society where people around us, not only do they not share Christian beliefs, but a lot of folks think Christian beliefs are crazy. And, and this is kind of a recent change. You know, 20 years ago, if you you could pretty reasonably assume that the majority of the people around you were familiar with what the Bible had to say. They had some kind of, of biblical literacy. 
some sense of who God is and why Christians act the way they do. And even if the people around you weren't Christians, practicing Christians themselves, they had this general cultural understanding of the church and faith, and it didn't seem very foreign to them. And that's just not true anymore, y'all. Now we are surrounded by a culture that thinks you're a fool if you believe in Jesus. And, and it's not just like, there's just not this familiarity with the things of God and with faith anymore. 20 years ago, if you told somebody that you weren't going to go to work on a Sunday because it was the Lord's Day and you wanted to rest, they might say, well, that's inconvenient, but I get it. You know, that's your religious thing. Now, if you go into your, most jobs and tell them that you refuse to work on Sunday because you're a Christian, that's not going to fly. <laughs> You're going to be on the schedule anyway. Fifteen years ago, if you told someone that you were saving yourself for marriage before you, you got intimate with somebody, they, would, they might not be doing that. Maybe they, people around you might not be doing the same thing, but they would say, yeah, I get that. That's what Christians do. Now it's like blows people's mind when people want to do that. They don't understand why you would ever let this 2,000-year-old book tell you what to do with your own body. We've moved past the time when, when Christianity has any real cultural relevance in our society. We're living in a time when to, when to truly follow Christ is baffling and confusing to the culture at large. And so the question that we're wrestling with in the month of October is the same real question that the exiles wrestled with. How do you go about living for God in the midst of a culture that neither knows nor really cares about him? And so the first person we're going to talk about is a, just a, a pristine example of, of this, this balancing act. And it's Daniel. Daniel, of course, he's famous for going and surviving the lion's den, but he did some other stuff too. And he and his friends are this, this great example of people living their best life for God in the midst of a culture that just did not care or understand. When they were kids, little kids, the country of Judah where they lived was conquered by Babylon like we talked about, and they were shipped away. And that's where we're going to we're going to pick up in uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Then the king commanded to his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and the nobility, young men, without physical defect, and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I really want some extra credit for getting through all those names, by the way. So, a jewel in my heavenly crown right there. So you got Daniel and his three friends who are basically kidnapped from their homes in Jerusalem. They don't have any say about it, and they're shipped off because they're so intelligent and well thought of to Babylon 
to essentially be brainwashed. They arrive in this place where they're, they're the only four Jews in the whole compound. Everybody else speaks a different language. Everybody else worships other gods. Everybody else eats different foods. And nobody understands why they do the things that they do. And not only do they have to cope with this new setting, they're expected to fit in there. They become educated into Babylonian culture and Babylonian language. They have to unlearn the history of their own people and start to learn a new history and new customs of a new place. They have their very names taken from them and they're given Babylonian names instead. And they're served food that is not only foreign to them, but it's forbidden for them to eat by Jewish law. So it seems like Daniel and his friends find himself in this culture that seems like a similar place to ours. They're in this new land, and they cannot possibly go back to the old one. And so they, it seems like they have two choices. They can either walk around their hardest trying to get other people in Babylon to convert to their way of doing things, or they can conform to the culture around them and give up their Jewishness altogether. Right? They can either rage against all the people around them that, that don't do things the way they think they ought to be done. Or they can give up their faith and their belief and their worship of God altogether and start worshiping the pagan gods. But curiously, it seems like there was a third option for Daniel. He did not insist that the culture around him change to become more Jewish but he also didn't cave and give up his central identity as a follower of God. He found a way to live a life for God in a godless land. So the next few verses kind of give us an example of how he was able to go about doing that. Let's check back in with Daniel. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, he would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then you can compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. So there are three things that I think we can learn from this incident if we look at it really closely. Three things that Daniel did in this really tough situation that I think we can apply to our own lives. First of all, Daniel discerned the culture. 
right? Daniel discerned what was going on around him. It can be really easy to write off all the Babylonians as just a bunch of pagans that I don't have to deal with, but the, the truth is that they're people that God loves and created too, right? And just because they live in this culture that does not care about God doesn't mean that God doesn't care about them. It can so, be so easy to hold ourselves up in a Christian bubble and never leave and never interact with the wider culture. But that's not what Daniel did. Daniel accepted his new name. He thrived in his new education. He learned the language and he learned the customs. It seems like he asked himself this question. Does this new thing that I'm being asked to do conflict with my relationship with God? Does it conflict with what God has asked me to do? And the, if the answer was no, then he went along with it. He discerned that it was okay to do it. And so I think the lesson for us is that God has called us to the places that we are. He called Daniel to Babylon. And he didn't call him there just so he can sulk around and not have any influence. He had to get out and be a part of what was going on in Babylon in order to have any influence on anything. So he didn't rage against the fact that he wasn't in Jerusalem anymore. He didn't try to go back to Jerusalem. He didn't try to make everybody around him become Jewish or else he wasn't going to talk to them. He learned about the place that he was in. And he tried to be the best citizen that he could be in that new place as long as it didn't come into conflict with his relationship with God. So I just think that's an amazing thing that we can, we can learn about this is that in this post-Christian culture, it can be so easy for Christians to just say, oh, why can't things be the way they used to be? Why can't we go back to... But we can't. We have to discern the culture that we're in and believe that God called us for such a time as, that, as we have. He didn't call us to live in a culture 50 years ago. He called us to live now for him. But then if an aspect of his culture did conflict with his relationship with God, he respectfully abstained even when it was difficult. So, you know, we might be thinking to ourselves, why did David make such a big deal about the food that he ate? Why was that the hill that he chose to die on? But for ancient Israelites, their diet was a big deal. They'd been instructed by God how to live, and their food made you unclean. And that's why he didn't want to defile himself with the king's food. He saw that defilement from food as a barrier in his relationship with the Lord. And that had to be difficult, y'all. It had to be difficult to go into the lunchroom of all the folks in his little cohort and have everybody else just be picking out on bacon and shrimp and wine. And you're sitting there with your salad watching everybody else eat all the good food. You know that that stuff smelled good. You know that, that the smell of that bacon probably was tempting. And he, he had all this pressure from, from the authorities above him, from his peers around him, from the smells that were wafting into his nose to just bail on the diet that God called him to have and to just cave and eat the good stuff. But he didn't do it 
he still abstained because Daniel let his identity in God drive his actions. He understood that he was a child of God. And, and in order for him to be obedient, he had to let his diet reflect that. What parts of your identity in Christ lead you to live differently from the culture around you? Even when re refusing to comply, Daniel did it as a matter of respect and deference. He didn't go up and start protesting because his religious freedom was being oppressed. He didn't complain about, about the fact that he didn't get to choose what he ate. He just went and he respected the authority to the extent that he could. And he said, listen, I know that you're in between a hard spot, but this is just a line that I can't cross. He didn't rage against the Babylonians. He respectfully abstained. And I think that brings us to the next point. He realized, Daniel realized, that Jesus was as much Lord in Babylon as he was in Jerusalem. I said Jesus, didn't I? God is as much Lord in Babylon as he was in Jerusalem. Daniel didn't need to be surrounded by people sharing his beliefs to be able to serve God where he was. God hadn't changed. God was still the creator. He was still the Lord. He was still redeemer in that place just as much as he was back home. And Daniel's loyalty to God didn't change no matter what else changed around him. And I think the key to living a life for God in the post-Christian culture is to realize that Jesus is Lord in a post-Christian culture just as much as he is in a, in a Christian one. Jesus was Lord in Babylon as much as he is in Jerusalem. When we say Jesus is Lord, we acknowledge that his power and his lordship cannot be in, contained by geography. It cannot be contained by culture. It does not matter who around believes that he's Lord. He's Lord. Even when nobody is submitting to God, Jesus is still in control. I remember a few weeks ago, I guess it was a few months ago at this point, during the children's moment, Vicki was talking about the kids as they were going back to school, and she was saying, you know, people say that we kicked God out of school, but that's not true. God, Jesus is in your school just as much as, as he ever was. And that's true. It doesn't matter what anybody says if you can officially pray in school or not. Jesus is there and kids can pray no matter what. There is no way that we can dethrone Jesus from the throne. We just can't do it. And so in a post-Christian culture, Jesus is still Lord. We can still have confidence in that. And scripture says, if Christ is with us, who can be against us? It doesn't mean that living for God is going to be easy in those circumstances, but it will always be right, and he'll always look out for us. So the third thing that Daniel and his friends understood was that they were never going to transform Babylon into another Jerusalem, and they were never going to make it back home to Jerusalem. All they could do was submit to God's lordship where they were. Remember, they could have caved and assimilated and worshipped the pagan gods as well. And I don't think anybody could have, would have blamed them for that by looking out for themselves. 
but that would have been unfaithful to their God who they know loved them and called them to obedience. But they also could have protested and made a big show about their their religious freedom or whatever, and that would have gotten them killed or put in prison. They would have wasted their time and their lives for something that was never going to happen. They were never going to go back, and they were never going to change Babylon into something Babylon was not. And so they decided to love and submit to God where they were. And God honored that by giving them influence later on. The end of the chapter, verse 18 says, the end of the time that the king had set for them, he brought them in. The palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court in every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there till the first year of King Cyrus. They were able to have an influence on the Babylonian king for the Lord. And if you read through the rest of the book of Daniel... Daniel becomes indispensable to several different kings because of his interpretation of dreams. They had an influence in a land where nobody would have ever thought that the word of God would ever matter. They were able to make it matter because they discerned the culture, because they served God no matter what, and because they just obeyed where they were. And so that's the word for us, I believe, in a post-Christian culture. We cannot go back. We can't go back. We can't make the culture around us more Christian than we, than we, can't, we have. We also can't afford to assimilate. We can't afford to just say, well, whatever goes, goes. It doesn't matter. We are called to the hard work of discernment and service of God right where we are. God has called us to the time that we are living because he has work for us to do. God called Daniel to Babylon because God had a work for Daniel to do in Babylon. He has called us to a post-Christian culture because he loves the people in this post-Christian culture and he wants to reach them with his love. So by remaining faithful to God, by discerning the culture around us, and by sticking to our guns, we can do it too. It was a hard road for Daniel and his friends. We'll, we'll get to that next week. It did not always go smoothly. But it was worked out because God was with them. So as Christians, we've kind of been given a diet too. Thankfully, we're not, we're not stuck missing out on bacon and shrimp because that would be tough. But rather than telling us what not to eat, God has told us what to eat. He's told us to come and to celebrate the Lord's table regularly. He's given us his body and his blood. We're on a diet of grace. And it's one of the best ways that we can counterculturally conform to Christ in the middle of our culture by coming to the table and submitting ourselves to him and repenting of our sins. 
and to understand that we are on the receiving end of grace from God. To persistently renew our love for a savor at the table. And that's what he's called us to do today. So we're going to sing our final song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, no, we're not. We're going to do communion first. It helped to look, it helped to look at the bulletin, wouldn't it? Yeah. So what we're going to do is I'm going to dismiss our online audience. Online audience, uh, we hope you join us in person for communion soon. But uh, for right now, I want you to go now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, being dedicated.